Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. So tonight we're looking at um, what is known as the immutability of God, which uh, it's God is immutable, which just means that God is unchanging. As we prepare our minds, uh, I want to kind of say something by way of um, introduction and uh, preface and reminder of what, what we're doing here and why we're doing this study there's one thing to call yourself um, a Christian and to go to church and to live a moral lifestyle and to adhere to, to Christian behaviors in your life. And there's a whole other thing to actually know God, to really know who he is, to really have a deep, intimate knowledge of the Father through the Son. And so... I have felt deeply that that is what God wants. Is he wants a people that is set apart for him, a people that are his, not merely a people who offer lip service. He's got that aplenty. He wants a people that are his, solely, completely, totally his. And now, though I have no power within myself to make us a people that are of that disposition, I want us, through these studies, to admire and be in awe of this God, that we may know him deeply, personally. I'll tell you what, when you go through trials and storms, there is nothing that will get you through except for the knowledge of God. Knowing what he's like, knowing that he won't fail you, Knowing that he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. Knowing that he's omni, um, omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, that he, nothing's too hard for him. Those things will get you through. But also, when you're in the mountaintops and you're experiencing success, those things will keep you humble because no matter how high you get, you cannot reach heaven. No matter how high you may climb in this, this uh, lifetime, we will never compare to the glories of the Lord. And it keeps us humble and it keeps us in awe of Him. And so that is, that is our aim. That's our goal. That's why we're taking our sweet time to go through these and to look at each attribute individual, individually, week by week. And I hope that this is bearing fruit in your life already. I know it certainly is in mine. There are times where this is just altogether overwhelming to behold God. So, with that being said, we're looking at the immutability of God tonight. We uh, get into this. Heavenly Father, God Almighty, ever-present, 
all-powerful, all-knowing God. Lord, we want to hit pause on our busy weeks right now, Lord, on our busy mind, on our busy hearts, Father. And we want to hit pause and, and take a moment to step out of time and step into eternity and gaze at the beauties and wonders of the Almighty. Father, I, I, I don't have any words of my own, God. There, there, there is no eloquence in the human language to ac accurately and adequately describe who you are, Father. So we need your word and we need your spirit here tonight, Father, to stir in us, to take the veil off of our hearts, Father, that we may behold you, that we may see you, that we may live lives that glorify you, Father. I pray that you bless this word tonight and that it bear much fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The immutability of God. We're saying that God is immutable. And here's our definition. It is that God is unchanging, unchangeable, and unalterable in all of his ways, his character, and his attributes. You know the passage from Hebrews 13:8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the same yesterday and forever. He never changes. Revelation 1:8 Jesus Christ is speaking and he says I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Wow. The unchanging God. By contrast, everything that we know changes. Everything around us is ever-changing we change. We're not the same people we were last year. We look different. We behave differently. We think differently. We might have different friends. We might live in a different place. Look at our culture today. Truth changes by the hour. We have no idea what way is up anymore. I know Randy went into good detail of truth last week. But we, we are just ever-changing. We're surrounded by things and people that are just constantly changing. So to even begin to wrap our minds around a God, a being, who is never changing is a challenge in and of itself. This is where we need to really understand that God is not like us. He's not comparable to anything in this world. God is altogether set apart and high and above everything that we've ever experienced and all that we are. He doesn't change. That is because he's perfect. A perfect God has no need to change. I mean, what would you even change about God? Save the attributes that you might not be fond of, but what would you even change about him? He's Almighty, he has all the power, all the power that could possibly be possessed, 
he possesses it. He's truth. Everything that he says is absolute reality. He's ever-present. He's everywhere at once. He's all-knowing, all-wise. He knows everything that there is to know. What is there for God to even change? He's perfect. So he's not getting better, and he's not getting worse. Because for him to get better, that would mean that he is currently worse than who he will eventually be. That means that a future version of God is better than the version of God we have now. If God were able to get better. Or if God had a need to improve. And he's also not growing in the other direction. He's not getting worse. He's not lessening. Because for God to have to uh, lessen or for God to be able to become worse, that would mean that the current version of God that we have is better than a future version of God. That's not the case, is it? He's ever changing. He's never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And thank God for that. So the brunt, the, the meat of our study tonight is going to be studying four different ways that we see that God is unchanging. And the first way that we see this is through his character. God's character never changes. The passages that are on the screen are Malachi 3.6. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. I mean, we could close the book there and go home. That's about all, all that we need to know. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob are not consumed. Psalm 102, 25 through 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. And lastly, 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What confidence you have as a believer to know that though I fail, though I am faithless, God is never faithless. God is ever faithful. He is always true to his word because he cannot deny himself. And who he is is perfect. Who he is is truthful. Who he is is faithful. This is his nature. It's who he is. They're not just characteristics that make him up. They are him. What confidence you have as a believer. His character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who spoke from the burning bush is the same God that was present When you were saved. Think about that. The God from the burning bush. The God who from the beginning of time started time. Spoke everything into existence. In the universe said let there be light in your heart. And the love of God was shed abroad in your spirit. The same God. 
And he's the same today. In a thousand lifetimes, he will continue to be the same. His attributes, his essence, his perfections, his being, he is who he is. He has always been who he is, and he will always be who he is. He is the Is that I am. I have no need to change. I already am. I'm already everything that I need to be. Living on a prayer. It's a bad song. Don't go listen to it. But could you imagine that? How awful life would be if we had a God like that. How awful, but how amazing is it that we don't? He's not like that. He is set in stone. He is fixed in who he is. He is not changing. He's settled. And we, in response to that, should be settled in our thoughts of who he is. The second way that we see that he is unchanging is in his word. Now we've covered this at pretty good length whenever we were looking at the devotions of a a healthy church. But we'll go over this again just for a refresher. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Let's hit pause there. What does that say about mankind? That God is not a man that he should lie? God is attributing lying to mankind. Ouch. But how awesome is it, though, that God says, I'm not like that. That's what you're like. I'm not like that. That's incredibly comforting to me. He's nothing like us. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever. Not just today, not for this generation, not just until the next fad comes, but forever his word is fixed. Thank you, God, for your word. Psalm 119, if you haven't read that, it's about 100 million verses long, but it is incredible. And it is just a psalm that is just full of praise to God's word, his law, his testimonies. Go read that and take your time reading through it and learn from that psalm of how we should view God's word. That is a a healthy, very God-glorifying view of God's word in Psalm 119. What God has spoken was written in stone with a pen of iron. 
His word means what it has always meant. His word means what it has always meant. You see, we have this tendency in our culture, just as humanity, just as people, that we grow so we expect God's word to grow. It needs to change with the times. It does not change. It's perfect already. God's word is immutable. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It meant the same thing in 1600 that it means today, that it will in the year 3764. His word is fixed forever. Let's understand that that means you can build your life on this word. You can build your life on this word knowing it does not change. Think about this. Every decision that you make in your life, everything, it comes from some sort of belief system inside of you. Oftentimes it's the belief system that was shaped and molded by society, by the university, by your friends, by your upbringing. It causes you to have a particular world view, a particular set of values, a particular way of thinking. But if it's not rooted in God's word, you are ripe for destruction, for heartache, for disaster, for banging your head against the wall and then wondering why your head keeps hurting. This is what happens when we don't build our lives on the solid rock of God's word. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? The man who listens to my teaching and goes away and does not put them into practice, what does he say about them? They're like a man who built their house on the sand. I'm not a contractor, but I know that that's foolish. Sand? You're going to build your house on sand? What does he say? The waters came, the storm came, the winds blew, the, the rain poured down, washed that house away. And that's what happens whenever you do not build your life on the word. It will happen to you. It might take 40 years, it might take 70, it might take four months. But that is what you are setting yourself up for because Jesus Christ said so. Yet, if we will take him at his word and build our lives on his word, what does he say? That we will be like a man who built our house on a solid rock. The storm still came. The rain still fell. The wind still blew. All the stuff still happened, but that house was not shaken because it was built on something everlasting. Church, we need to be people like that today in a culture of, of ever-changing truth. Let us be those kinds of people. When Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. He doesn't speak flippantly. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth the way that we do. He doesn't just say things just because the way that we do. What he says, he means it. Though our culture is ever-changing its mind about this, that, and the other, we as Christians have the incredible confidence to know that we know where true north is. We know how to navigate throughout this life. We have eternal 
infinite, infallible, immutable, inerrant wisdom right here in this book. That's how good God is to us. He didn't just save you and say, go figure it out, kiddo. He gave you a list of instructions. Let's keep going. Number three, his plan. Psalm 33, 10 through 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? The answer is no one. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Amen and amen. We're in an election year. How many times do we hear a president of either side, I'm not here to pick sides or tell you who to vote for, but how often do we hear a president make all these promises and they get into office and None of their plans go into effect. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Why? Because they're just men. But God is not like that. When God makes a plan, when God sets his heart to do something, when God sets something in motion, it is going to be accomplished, period. God has one plan. Do you know what it is? Plan A. That is to say, he doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have a plan C or D or E or G. God has plan A because his plan will happen. The other thing to understand about that is that we are not on God's time. God is rather, let me change that to say, God is not on our time. We're on God's time. Just because something has not happened in our life, that doesn't mean that God has been faithless in his promise. Because the beautiful thing that we see in the crucifixion, the Bible says that all of God's promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So that means that even if you go to the grave and you don't see a promise fulfilled in this lifetime, you can rest assured that for all of eternity, you will be basking in the all-accomplished promises of God. We have a lot of people that say that you'll be healed if you believe in Jesus. It's not always true. Guess what? Some of us just get sick. Some of us get diseases. And sometimes we go to the grave with those things. The point of being a Christian is not for God to bail you out of everything. It's that God is enough for you no matter what happens. Even if you go to the grave. Even if you die a bloody, brutal death. That God is enough. And we can know... That if you, even if it does end that way, great is your reward in heaven where there's no sin. There's no sin. How, how exciting is that going to be? I won't sin anymore. 
I won't, I won't get angry. I won't be frustrated. I won't be sad. I won't, be, I won't cry anymore. I won't do any of these things anymore because I will be in the unfiltered glory of God Almighty. Church, we can build our life on that promise. Not just we can, we must. God has declared the end from the beginning and he will accomplish all of his purposes. His plans move forward relentlessly. They will not be stopped. But we see through scripture sometimes that it appears as though God changes his mind. And this is a very difficult thing to grasp. As I studied this, this topic, man, there's, a, there's a lot of even the greatest theologians that are saying, well, um, uh, well, because we have to face the fact that God is greater than we are. He's more brilliant than we are. And there will be some things that we can only understand in part. But I would be remiss if I did not deal with this because that question has to come up as we think about God never changing and God's plan never changing. Because you'll remember, if you remember in in Genesis 6, let's actually just turn there. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. Mind you, this is six chapters into human history whenever this is spoken. But it's Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth And it grieved him to his heart. The Lord regretted. That's a challenging thing to read, isn't it? What do you mean the Lord regretted? I thought that he was all-knowing. How can an all-knowing God regret to do something? The thing that we need to understand, in, in, in one of the Psalms it says, God says that you make the mistake of thinking that I'm just like you. What we have to understand about this is that the word that's being used here does not mean regret the way that humans regret. When you and I regret something, what we mean is, if I had the opportunity, opportunity to do it differently, I would. Am I right? That, that's kind of our, all of our understanding of what regret means. Is that, man, I really wish I had never dated that person, Right? Oh, I really wish I had never spent this money on this thing. I really wish I had never said yes to that thing. What you're saying is, if I could go back in time and do it differently, I would. That is not the case with God. He has total knowledge, all knowledge from before time began. So he does not regret in the sense that he would go back and change it. In 1 Samuel 15, he regretted making Saul king over Israel. In Genesis 18, um, Abraham seems to change God's mind about destroying the righteous with the wicked. 
And then Moses appears to change God's mind a few times in Exodus 13 and Numbers 14. So what gives? It appears as though we see a God who does change his mind, who things happen that he doesn't like and he gets regretful just the way that we do. What we need to understand is that in 1 Samuel 15, 29, it says that God is not a man that he should regret or a God or, or a man that he should lie. What he's saying there is that he does not regret the way that mankind does. He's not like you and I. He does not repent of his actions because he is sinful. But the word repent means to have a change of mind. So what we're seeing, I believe, as much as I have studied this particular topic, what I believe the best answer to God changing his mind, because it's in there and we can't avoid it. But what I think we are really seeing here is that the key is that God is not a man. It's that he does not regret like our regret. When we regret, I already went through that. So what we're seeing is that God did not create creation. He did not make the world and all of mankind and send it to drift off into space. And then he's just sitting on his throne, just occasionally checking in to see what's going on. And then saying, man, I really wish I hadn't done that because look at what's happening. Does that make sense? He's not detached from his creation. It's not like if, if we were to go and build something, say you built um, a table or a cabinet or whatever, and then you just put it in the garage. You would have no idea what's going on with that table that's in the garage until you go and check on it, right? That's not what God has done with his creation. He has not created it and then stored it away and then just occasionally he comes to check in and do a welfare check. That's not what's going on. God is involved in our everyday affair. And I think the key is from Genesis 6 that we saw that it grieved God's heart. What we're seeing is that God chooses the best means to accomplish the highest ends. Meaning, he uses the best courses that he can. The best course to achieve the best outcome. But guess what? Sometimes on those courses, there will be human sin. There will be human error. And God grieves when he sees that sin. It grieves the heart. We've seen that even in the New Testament, that it tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. God is all-knowing. He knows what you're going to do. Yet he grieves because he is actively involved in all of the affairs of mankind. So though he has known this was coming, he's not caught off guard. He's not caught scratching his chin, wondering what he's going to do next. Now that you did that, God has ordained every event throughout human history, but he's actively involved. So when people sin, it still grieves his heart. Are you following me? I see about three heads saying yes. 
This is a challenging subject, okay? I'm not going to pretend like this is really easy to understand. But the heart of what we need to get at is that God's plans are set in stone. Does God use prayer? Absolutely. But we cannot assume that it's our prayer that changes God's mind. Because then what we're doing is we're assuming that we informed God of something that he was completely unaware of. Well, God, have you thought about it from this angle? And God's just there like, wow, you know what? I didn't. Thanks, Brandon. I'm so glad. Now I'm not going to do that. That's not what's happening. God, in his infinite wisdom and love and desire for relationship with us, has invited us to take part in his unfolding plan of redemption, and he uses prayer. He wants you to be involved with prayer. Because it is true that the prayer of the righteous man avails much. He wants you to pray. And he uses those prayers. But we don't change his mind. He's already had everything set in stone since the beginning of time. Remember, the scripture says that he calls the end from the beginning. Everything's done in God's mind. He's already settled on what's going to happen. His plan for salvation and redemption is already set in stone, yet he invites us to take part of it. What I think about in this is that oftentimes people like to say, well, God doesn't want you to be a robot. If God is all in control of everything, then why do we even need to pray? Well, number one, because God commands you. But number two, because God invites you. He invites you to take part in this with him. Are we getting any more clearer on this? Now, I invite conversation about this in the future because this is a very big, challenging subject. But for now, let's move on to the second part of that. Uh, we see um, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, what does God say is that I, if my people humble themselves and pray. What's God saying? God is, right before that in verse 13, God is saying all of this pestilence that he's going to bring upon the land. And then he moves to say, but if my people will humble themselves and pray, I'll turn and I'll heal their land. See, God's mind's already set on what's going to happen. Do you understand? God's already set on what is to happen. Either we're doing this or we're doing this. That's what he tells us. But in his mind, he already knows how this is going to play out. So he invites us in to take part in that prayer. But the other thing that we see in Abraham and Moses praying to God and getting him to uh, quote-unquote change his mind is that those prayers that they prayed are priestly prayers. And really what we see, if we look at it, is that they are a type of Christ. They are a pointing to Christ. Because what does Christ do for us? He mediates, he intercedes on our behalf to God the Father. We read this not too long ago, but in Romans 8.34, and you can turn there if you want to look at it for yourself. But Romans 8.34 says that Christ is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. 
Much in the same way that Abraham and Moses were interceding for the Israelites. Well, not Abraham, but Moses was interceding for the Israelites, saying, God, remember the covenant that you made with these people. Don't destroy them. And so then God relents, and he lets up, and he decides to show mercy. Just in the same way that Jesus prays for us and says, God, don't wipe them out. Remember the covenant that you made with them. I paid for their sins. And so God relents and doesn't wipe us out. Does that make sense? When I read that, that was just so incredible to me. Especially just the thought that Jesus is praying for you. Oh my goodness. I mean, what do, you, what, what do we ever have to fear to know that our Lord is praying for us? Let's move on. So this will bring us to our last point. It's that God is unchanging in his salvation. I want you to think about this. In John 3.16, it says that you will not perish, but you will have what kind of life? Everlasting, eternal, never-ending Everlasting, eternal life. Think about this. If God saved you and you fell away from the faith and you were in the faith for five years, was that everlasting life? No, it wasn't. That was five years of life. If you were in the faith for 40 years and you fell away from the faith after 40 years, you did not have everlasting life. You had 40-year life. What is that to say? That is to say that you were never saved to begin with. Why? Because God does not lose those whom he saves. If you are his, you are his, period. He has given you everlasting life. That means it never ends Christian, do you hear that? That means it never ends. This should make your heart sing with gladness. That the God who has called you was set in his choosing of you. He's not finicky. He's not having mood swings about you. In Romans 8.29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is the plan, and it's God's plan that will not change, is that you will be shaped and molded into the image of the Son, and you will have eternal life. God's plan doesn't change. God's plan never fails. It is set in stone, and it lasts forever. Thank God. Because here's the thing. If you could fall away, you would. If I could fall away, I would. I'm just a person. I'm just a man. We're nothing special that we could adhere to the perfect Christian life. Are you kidding me? Have you read the things that God expects of us? He says that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. Do you know there has never been a moment in your entire life where you have done that? 
You've never loved the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. If you have, your name would be Jesus Christ because he did. There was never a moment where Jesus Christ didn't love the Lord his God with all his mind, heart, soul, and strength. That is to say that, church, you and I, we just live in sin. We just live in failing But thanks be to God that he has shown us grace and mercy. And he is unwavering in that grace and mercy. He doesn't say you have a 90-day probation period and you better get it right within that time. Otherwise, you're out of here, kiddo. When he has elected you, he's elected you since before the foundations of the world. And nothing and no one can change that. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand, not even you. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. God does not change his mind about his elect. He has loved us with an everlasting love. From eternity past to eternity future, God chose his bride since before the foundations of the world, and she will be kept until the final day. He will not fail. The saving arm of the Lord has not drawn short. It has not grown weary. The saving arm of the Lord is mighty to save. It is not your grip on Christ that keeps you. It is Christ's grip of you that keeps you. It is not your incredible faith in a decision that you made at one point in your life that saves you. It is God's eternal election, his ever deciding that you are his that keeps you. It is your resting in the palm of the hand of the Almighty that keeps you. We have to understand that salvation is not primarily about us. We are the benefactors. We, are, we greatly benefit from this. But salvation is of and to and for the Lord. It is all about Him. It's about God's glory. It's about the glory that God receives in showing the full array of all of his attributes. That God shows his justice on the cross. He shows his eternal wrath on the cross. He shows his grace through the cross. He shows his mercy on the cross. He shows his love by sending his son to go to the cross. He shows his all-powerful nature in being able to save sinners from their own sin. Salvation glorifies God. And it's about him. And it's for him. And it's to him. That for all of eternity we would be able to join in with the chorus of angels singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That we would sing hallelujah, Christ alone. 
Do you see, church, that Christ is everything? He's the center. He is the reward. He is the goal. He is our model. He is our, he is our everything. Without him, we have nothing. Paul Washer once said, I have given God countless reasons not to love me, but none of them has been strong enough to change him. Let that sit for a second. Though we've done nothing to earn our salvation, we've done 100 million things since to lose it. But we don't. Why? Because God does not change. When he set his affections on you, it was forever. And ever. And ever. And ever. And ever. Let's stand. The fact that God does not change should give you so much confidence that God's word will always be the same, that God's nature it will always be the same, that God's love for you will never change, that God's salvation, his, his election of you will never change. Church, let us not see this as an occasion to live in a manner unbecoming of the gospel. But let us see this as our motivation, the driving force behind us living for the glory of God. That he may be glorified in our lives and that we may bring some along with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... I thank you, Lord, that you are just this immense, incredible, unfathomable, incomprehensible God. Yet you invite us to know you. God, I thank you, Lord, that your, your nature is nothing like ours, that you don't change. Lord, I thank you that once you've set your hearts on us and your affections on your bride, that there's nothing that we can do to change your mind about us. That when you went to the cross and that first nail went in, that you did not say, wait, 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 I've changed my mind. But you said, do the other one. And at the end of it all, you said, it is finished. Lord, I pray that you will help us to have the same resolute nature, resolute mindset about you. That we will be resolute in our commitment to you, in our love for you, in our awe of you, God. Lord, I pray that you will, in the coming days, God, that you will continue to give us greater, greater manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
through the revelation of your word that we may come to know you, God. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.